There is hope for us yet. We are young, we are aware. I am Holly Whitaker. And I am Laura McCowan. And this is Home Podcast. And so So we're here. Here we are. In August. Yes, at the beginning of our episodes. We've got to figure out a better way. Um, you never know the, ent- the, the entrance. No. Um, anyway, so let's um, let's talk really quick before we get yeah. into our talk. talk. About the plan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you texted me today as it's Wednesday and I have not edited yet, nor had we recorded the... Um, introduction and you said do you want to take August off and the first thought that I had was oh god we can't and then Mm -hmm. as I'm sitting lying on my couch in Rome in my underwear and drinking my sixth coffee for the day and absolutely not wanting to even edit this I thought oh my god yeah we need a break we really do we really yeah we need a break and and We've been going at it for a over a year straight, no breaks. And I, I, we just have been feeling, I think we're both in a place where it feels right. And we both need it, this time. Like you've said it too. You said, I want to go away for August and just read and, you know, disappear. And, um, I, I second that. <laughs> yeah. I think it's one of those months where it's it feels right to do that. And our plan is, so our plan is it's official. We decided today <laughs> as uh, we always plan hours before <laughs> that we, so home will be taking a break for the month of August. So this will be our last episode for the month. And we have, when we come back, we have so many good ones oh my God. lined up. Yeah. We're going to debut, so, I think either with, it's either going to be Tommy or Glennon that we debut, either Tommy Rosen or, or Glennon Melton that we debut with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then we have, why don't you say the next one that we're, we, we have, have Mark Manson. Mark Manson. And who also has a book coming out right yes. around then. Uh, we have an episode about sex addiction, which I am so excited about. It it's with a friend of mine, a male, um, who has been uh, in recovery from sex addiction for a while, and yeah. um, and I've been hoping and praying that he would come on and talk about it, and he has agreed to. And so, oh. yeah, I'm really excited about that. And then we also are going to have a show where you and I talk about God. Because yep. that's something that's come up recently. Um, and then... We're going to talk about codependency. Codependency. That's, that's come up. And also, uh, we have an episode with Don Nickel of She Recovers. Yep. Uh, we have a lot of goodies coming up and, and more to yeah. be scheduled and announced. But September will be amazing. Yeah. Especially because we will have had a breath. Yeah. A break. Ugh. Well, it's just one of those things. I've been... I'm going to... I was thinking about posting. I may post if it doesn't feel good, stop. And it's been, it's been one of those things that's just been on my mind recently and it doesn't feel good right now. It just doesn't. It feels like work and I hate it when this thing feels like work and usually yeah, it's such a joy. It's never felt like work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's never felt like work and it feels like work. And then another really cool thing too, is when we come back, uh, Laura has 
constructed a website. <laughs> yeah, home will have its own little home on yeah. the internet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it has its own website um, with all the episodes archived and more detailed. We'll start including more detailed notes from each episode with links resources. to resources that we yeah. mentioned. Um, yes. Also setting up a donation page because, um, yeah, to, to be able to allow for a little bit of help so we don't have to bring in advertisers. We can delay that yes. for as we long as possible. <laughs> yeah. So, so there's good stuff coming up. So that's what's going on. And then you and I are going to do a little bit before we sign off for the month of August. We're going to catch up a little bit. And then we have uh, an interview to release after this. Um, okay. So anyway, Laura, um, so what do you want to talk about? <laughs> we just <laughs> talked for like 30 minutes before we get on and then we get, I know. we get, we get we on do that? on and we don't know what to say. Uh, um, I want to talk about, I'll just say a couple how about three things that we're thinking about lately? Okay. Oh my God. That's so brilliant. Yeah. You go first. Okay. So three things I've been thinking about lately. Uh, one is I am reading the surrender experiment by Michael Singer and it is wonderful. And I recommend it to everybody, no matter what. Um, it's about, sort of letting life um, unfold to you versus trying to impose your agenda on it. That's the most simple way of putting it. And yeah, well put. he really talks about, he, this is a guy who built a really successful, I think, billion dollar business, um, but started out as someone who thought he had to go away into seclusion in order to find peace and enlightenment. And what he found was the opposite, that he, that, that the, the dailiness of our lives, uh, is not excluded from, and all of those things, work and family and friends and conflict and other people and, uh, bills and taxes. And, you know, those things are not excluded from our path to, spirituality and enlightenment and purpose. So I love that because I know I have felt so many times that same feeling, like I just want it all to go away so I can go inside and be quiet, but that's not the reality of how we live, how 99% of us live. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a great book. I've been thinking about it a lot. Um, my friend, our friend Meadow DeVore recommended it to me and, uh, then it came up again with our interview with James Altucher. And so, you know, it's one of those things that the, it You're presented knocking itself. on your door. Yeah. Knocking on my door. So I've been thinking about that. Um, the other things I've been thinking about. <laughs> do you want to go back and forth so you can? Yeah, let's okay. do that. Um, my number one thing that I've been thinking about that we just talked about is, um, it's the same, it's the same thing. And it's so funny because I started out this conversation by telling you I was reading The Untethered Soul, which is written by Michael Singer, the same author of the book that you're reading. And yeah, and so, usually we know what each other's reading, but we yeah, didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> And so I, and that book is all about, um, opening up the heart and allowing energy to flow through the heart. And it talks about how, when we are so great, because it talks about 
it's a really interesting phenomenon that I've been experiencing while I'm in Rome, which is that I have energy. Like, I might be tired because I'm not sleeping very much, but I have so much energy. And he talks about how the difference between this energy of, like, energy that comes from good diet and exercise versus the energy of heart. And he talks about this, like, you imagine, he he takes you through a scenario and he says, imagine that you're, you know, boyfriend calls you up and breaks up with you out of the blue and for the next three months you have no energy to do anything you are just barely making it through life you're totally cut off and then three months later you know your boyfriend calls you up and is crying and says I don't know I made the biggest mistake of my life and then all of a sudden you know he just takes you through this example which is much longer and drawn out than what I just said but all of a sudden you have all this energy Mm -hmm. and he said that's not from eating right that is not from sleeping enough that is the heart energy and so it this book is about that this like opening up to this type of energy and it's so interesting because that's the type of energy I have right now which is I'm alive and I actually my heart is open and my heart is open because I first of all am doing things that I love to do I'm in a place that I love and I like everything around here like from just sitting at a cafe and people watching or hearing people speak in Italian or 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 really truly like watching you know being so still that you can actually see the humanness of people and mm-hmm. um, eating good food and, and having good sex and like just this all of this stuff that's just like experiencing my heart is really open mm-hmm. and I'm energized and I feel like back to life and so I've been thinking about it anyway just because that's what's been going on and then I read this book and then I'm also reading a return to love right now and mm-hmm. it just for me it's just so um, and also I've had this quote on my mind um uh, I have a tattoo on um, my back, the back, my back. My, I have one tattoo on my back except for my lower back <laughs> tattoo, <laughs> my tribal 1990s lower back. But I have one tattoo on my upper back, and it's at the on the back, other side of my heart, and it's a heart. And mm-hmm. it's to remind me to not close my heart off. It's to remind me to always keep my heart open, but to, to remember that the heart has a back door. It has two doors, front door and also a back door. That we're not like, that we're supposed to keep open to all the experiences, not close down to them. So that quote, like that thought of the heart has mm-hmm. two doors, a front and a back. Because I'm trying, to, you know, in, the, in some experiences that I'm having here with men, I'm, I'm all, you know, it's my primary thing. And so the heart for me, like it's... I guess right now I'm I my biggest thing that I'm thinking about is um how do I go through life and keep my heart open as much as possible yeah. um because I closed it in the last 6 months before I got here I like I crawled you know onto the plane mm-hmm. and um just exhausted and so for me it's thinking like how do I go back into my life and do this thing that I'm doing and also really make sure that I can access this, my heart the same way that I can access it when I'm, you know, eating Doing gelato and looking at Michelangelo. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, that's where I wanted to know is like, is how you carry that into when you're not in Rome. Well, I think the really, um, the, a fantastic point that he makes in this is that we we learned to, we open and shut the heart, heart all the time like a valve like something triggers us and we shut down you know and mm-hmm. and and we you and I know this very well like we were just mm-hmm. talking about this before this call started and so he talks about it Michael Singer talks about it in this book the untethered soul 
that it's a practice um, of actually just notice of just noticing when you close down and then kind of like opening it and allowing the the experience to pass through you because he talks about it in this very like very um, common sense approach of it's energy that the heart yeah. is a it's a chakra it's an energy center and yep. that when you close it what you end up doing is you stop allowing new experiences to get through and it gets stuck and it becomes a samskara an impression something that just kind of stays with you and weighs you down and so the practice is to kind of allow yourself to to feel it all experience it all like again the front door back door thing instead of shutting down you know practice like notice when something happens where you want to shut and I've been practicing this for a while like especially in relationships with men like that's Mm -hmm. the biggest thing like we talked about forgiveness last week and one of the things that I've done the most is just try and stay with myself, which means staying open. When I shut yeah. down, I go somewhere else. And, I, I, you know, so so it's something I've been practicing anyway. But right now, it's just like, you know, when you hit that that point where you get it, it's like you've yeah. been struggling and you've been grabbing at all these different things. And all of a sudden, you're like, uh And so I, I, yes. I have this, like... I get it. I get why that's important. Mm-hmm. Number one, number two, I get how to practice it in real life. I've been I've been doing like heart opening exercises like for a while. I've talked about like needing to work on my heart chakra. This is more like oh, I get it. If I'm walking down the street and I smile at someone and they don't smile back at me, I don't shut down. If yeah. I um, if somebody you know breaks disappoints me, breaks a date or you know like just which just happened two days ago, like I don't I I keep open I keep open and I let it pass outside of me I stay with the pain and I let it pass instead of like clamping down on it like I, yep. I get it I get how to actually metabolize this as I'm going through my life so it's, it's so that's my number one I love it I love it and it, it's it happens perfectly you know like you're I think you're only able to do that because you of this situation that you have put yourself in and that the universe has presented to you in Rome well, and so. our teachers too. Like, and our teachers. I have and some very good teachers, like yes. meaning the relationships that I have. I have, I uh-huh. have fantastic men. <laughs> men who fantastic. have showed up and done their part. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's kind of magical. Okay, what's your number two? Well, I wanted to bring up what happened last really? night. But do I want to go there? Yeah. Please, for the love of God, just do it for once. (laughs) Oh, okay. Uh, So, so this is what happened. Ew, this feels hard, but it feels good because it's it was a big moment. It's been a big moment for me. So I went on a date last night with someone. Uh, with so, yes, I won't do that. Sorry, <laughs> you can edit that part out. <laughs> <laughs> not that anyone could ever put it together, but I had not met this guy before, and uh, we had exchanged messages, and it, it turned out it turned out that we it worked out to meet uh, somewhat at the last minute. We just decided like the day before, and I wasn't really wanting to go on the date, uh, but I felt partially like I should, because you can only, you know, I had like hunches based on our text exchanges, but I had never heard his voice. I don't know who he is. I know, I've tried to keep myself open to meeting lots of different people because you can't figure out what, it, what someone's like in text message. I think I can, but I'm trying to 
stay with the idea that I might not be right about that. So we met and it was a pleasantly surprising dinner and the conversation was decent and he's very attractive and kind and he treated the waitress really nicely, which I like. And we had a good conversation. It was fine. We went to the car, his car on the way to my car and we were saying our goodbyes and he kissed me and I was surprised about that because it was, I, it was a good one and a good kiss and he was a good kisser and we had a little moment of, you know, pleasant exchange. Uh, and then he asked me what I was doing and I, I said that I was going to just go home and I knew that's what I wanted to do. I was really looking forward to going home and I invited him to come over and even though I didn't want to. And then fast forward a couple hours and we, am I saying this? Yeah. I'm just gonna say it. And we had sex and I want to say like, I I felt really icky about it because, not because I don't have sex with people and get, it wasn't the fact that we had sex and like I had just met this guy. That would be fine if I was all in it um, and I wanted to, but I didn't want to. Yeah. And he wasn't pushing anything. He was perfectly nice, kind he wasn't being forceful in a way that I would find, you know, there was no, he wasn't, there was no pressure. There was no pressure, but I did it. And it was almost like a, yeah, I don't even really want that ice cream cone, nor do I need it right now, but I'm going to eat it anyway because it's there. Yeah. Well, but is that really it? I mean, there's that piece of it, which bothers me. There's like an apathy about it that bothers me. Yeah. But there's also, the part that bothers me more is that I didn't want to face the awkwardness of just telling him that I didn't want to, that I wanted him to go home. Right. That I was done. Right. And what we talked about, which I think is really important to distinguish, it's not even the awkwardness. It's, it's like, it, which it is, it's awkwardness, but it's also something I'm so familiar with. Um, and that I, I've been working on and I've, I've moved away. Um, but it's that we value men's feelings more than we yeah, value I didn't our want feelings. To disappoint him. I thought that was what the thing that was supposed to happen next. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't want to it, it was a, it was an old piece of me. It wasn't like, oh my god, I, I, I it wasn't that there were, I was like there's this neediness or right, this escapism that I that that that's what it felt like a lot of times when I was drinking and I slept right. with people or even in newly sober and I was reaching out to grab intimacy. It, it wasn't even, it was almost like I'm standing there watching myself from a very healthy place and going, you're, you're going to, what you're going to do. Okay. You're doing this. Why? Yeah. <laughs> and then we did it. It was like, ah, I didn't want to, I really didn't want to. And he left and I texted you a bunch of things Um, knowing that you weren't there just because I wanted to get them out. And what has, what the result of it is I, you know, first of all, I'm not, I don't feel 
I'm done with it. You know, I'm not, I'm not feeling guilty or gross about it or shameful about it or anything now I'm past it. And I almost feel grateful that it happened because it was just, you know, it light, it lit up this piece of me that felt, feels very old and Mm -hmm. it is old. It's the oldest piece. I thought back to the guy that I have talked about on this show before that I slept with and got me pregnant when I was 21. I, every time I slept with him, I was drinking and I needed his attention so badly. I was willing to do whatever I want, whatever it took to get it. And that included after I had had an abortion, sleeping with him because he wanted to with no condoms, with no protection, whenever he wanted to. Yeah. And he would come inside me and I just let it happen. And it's a, it's that feeling, that same feeling, it's less acute. It's less painful now because I don't, I'm, but because of all the work that I've done and I'm 38 and I'm not 21 or 39 or 38. Yeah, I'm 38. And so it doesn't feel, it just, it's like revisiting that part that doesn't fit me anymore. It doesn't, align with where I am. That's right. Um, so it's more just a, no, we don't ever have to do that again, honey. I know. (laughs) I know. It's a disappointment. It was a disappointment. It's the, it's the leaving of yourself. It's not, it's, it is, it's the, it's like you, it's your, like we talked about again last week, like you're, you know, like being the guardians of ourselves and, and like, uh, you know, when we, we know, like at this point, you know, you and I really know, and we're, it's like being, I would say it's really like you're sensitive to, you actually, you're not just, you're not blind and just blindly going through something. You actually understand you're sensitized to what what happened last night you actually can see it you can taste it you can identify it you can put a label on it you can you can you you know exactly what happened at when and yeah and so it's just um it's it's so it's such a big deal and especially like you know I can it's also it's so familiar I know mm-hmm. that story. I know that story. And we talked about it. This like the this last week I um I was sleeping with somebody and <laughs> I started to go down that thing where I knew I wasn't I mean, oh god. Okay, I guess we're doing it. Like um where I knew <laughs> I wasn't going to come and we'd been having sex for 2 hours and it was great and I just like um was either going to do this thing where um I pretended and I worried about making him feel good about himself. Like you faked an like, orgasm. Yeah, and I and but I didn't. But I didn't. I just right. stopped I stopped and I said I'm not going to. I'm enjoying this. And in, instead of doing that whole thing of like where I yes. lose myself and I worry more about his pleasure, more about like, do I look okay? Like, am I doing this right? Do I look mm-hmm. okay? Is he satisfied? Does he feel good about himself here? It's always like worrying about like them and yeah. not me. And yeah. so, and this is something that I've been fighting for for really, really long fucking time. And so it's yep. just, I know exactly like, I know exactly what that is, what this thing was that happened last night. I know exactly what it is. It's just this, it's valuing, it's not valuing our wants and our needs enough um, to to voice them. And because we're so worried about like, oh, you know, 
Damn. Yeah. And, and just, and, and, and it's not in alignment with how I am no. right now anymore. You know, I don't, I don't need anything from this guy. There was no, I didn't have shame, you know, many years ago. And even when I started, I didn't have the shame of, um, I love having sex. I love being a sexual person. And it took me a long time to let go of whatever you want to call it, the Catholic guilt about sexuality and, and all of that. It took me a long time to let go of that. That's not there. There was no risk, you know, in being, getting pregnant. There's no, in my mind, it's like, there's no, there's no risks, but the big, there's no, I don't know, immediate there's, risks are, yeah. are not there. It's the, it's the, I actually had, I'm making this choice from a centered place and it felt like I just went unconscious on myself. Yeah. So. Well, you kind of have to, you know that? Yeah. When you do yeah. something that's out of integrity, you actually have to, like you, you kind of, um, you do go away. You have to, you go, you, have you to. know, it just reminds me of like when I, you know, binge and purge, like I blacked out and not because I was blacking out, yeah. I blacked out because I couldn't actually stand myself. I couldn't actually stand watching it. It was too painful. Yeah. Yeah. So that happened. Uh, and that was that that happened and this morning. I slept until nine because I didn't want to wake up. It was like oh, having a hangover. Oh God, I know. And I just I woke up, though, and it was like, OK, okay. It, you're fine. And I talked to you and I talked to someone else and I worked it out. And I went for a bike ride and I kept, you know, moved on. But. I'm really kind I'm really kind of glad it happens because I I just am I'm glad I you know I, I'm glad it happened um, and I know the difference between me wanting to do something even if it was same circumstances same scenario I, me wanting to do that in my body and my heart and my mind saying yes. I'm, I'm all for it. There's no sadness, no shame, no leaving in that, but I didn't want to do it (laughs) and I did it anyway. And that feels awful. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to leave myself anymore in any way. Yeah. I stopped leaving myself with the drinking. I stopped leaving myself with other things, you know, all these parts of my heart are aligned now and that just wasn't so Bye, Felicia. Bye, well, Doreen. It's also, bye, Doreen. It's also really sweet because it's like, um, it's like you are actually you just are your awareness is is rising and your growth is rising, and it's yeah. kind of like it's just a sign that you can't get away, you get busted, mm-hmm. you can't get away with the same stuff. Um, yeah, there's a price. Yeah, there's a price. <laughs> Uh, okay, so there's that. We I didn't expect to go there, but no, I'm glad we did. I'm really hey. glad we did because you said you wanted to talk about it, so now we did. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have to schedule an episode, even yeah. we just did it. All right, what's your second thing? Um, my second thing is uh, it's men's stuff too, and it's funny. Do you know there's this yoga teacher? It's my teacher's teacher, Stephanie Snyder, is my who I would mm. count as my yoga teacher, and her teacher is Dharma Mitra. And mm-hmm. she tells a story about Dharma Mitra and how he um, 
would, when he lived in New York City, he rode bikes and his bikes always got stolen. And um, he, like, so he, he, I think he uses a, um, what are those things called? The, um, the thing that Job used on Arrested Development. Um, the, uh, I don't know, I didn't watch that show. But, no, okay. We won't even go there. Um, the, um, oh, the Segway. So Darwin Mitra now uses oh. the Segway. <laughs> He does. To get around New York City. And um, and so the best part about it is that he says he must have been like a horse bandit in a previous life. And this is his karma. Like his bike gets stolen all the time. So, yeah. <laughs> so I can't help but think of this story as I get stood up all the time. It's like my thing. Yeah. It's crazy. You it's crazy. A lot. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? It's crazy. Yeah. And... Um, I think I was, you know, like maybe Casanova or I don't know, maybe some <laughs> legendary, yes. some legend. You were legendary. definitely a dude and you were definitely a dude that stood a lot of people <laughs> up, set a lot of women, women up. up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh God, that's the best. That's going to be the cover of this, this episode. No, it's so true though. I mean, that's all I can think of was, God damn, this is some serious karma. Um, <laughs> That's great. But so, so that's, it's just one of my things. It's, it's like, it's a theme that repeats and repeats and repeats to the point where I'm not even surprised anymore. It's kind of sad. It's kind of funny. It's not sad. It's not. It's It's only sad if we let it be sad. But you're just like, yep, stand in your head. Yep. I said, I must send you a text message at least once a month. Well, well, um, no, but it's so, it's so, it's so interesting. And so, you know, it's, for me, it's just one of those things that, (laughs) sorry, I'm just, (laughs) it's so so ridiculous. Do you know anyone else? I mean, like last year at this time, the guy I was dated came to Italy to tell me that he was like, see, anyway, it's just, it's so extravagantly dramatic and, yeah. and omnipresent. And so anyway, um, so I have dealt with this a couple of, about four times since I've been in Italy. Um, this time. Well, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the first date that Dario and I were supposed to have, he like, it, like it was crazy he said he was he had to go into work on a Saturday and I just called bullshit on it and he actually was telling the truth and we ended up still going out that night but it was just like you're kidding me and then he and I were supposed to hang out this last Sunday and then he stood me up and then whatever I mean it's like happened four times since I've been here and um so it's this it's just this it's you know it's not even that it's just um I would say the thing that I the thing that I am thinking about them one of the other big themes right now is this um is again it's staying with myself and it's this growing into this woman who is able to who before was just shattered by this type of stuff and um I'm not anymore I'm not 
Like, I am not even fucking phased by it. I mean, I am. Like, I, when Francesco stood me up on Saturday night, I, you know, sent him a not nice text message. And then I spent, you know, like 15 minutes thinking about what I could, you know, other things I could say to make him feel worse. And then, um, but then it was just done. It was just done. And I was, and I was out in the world and and in love. I wasn't, I wasn't shut down. And I wasn't gone. And so it's not just the standing up thing. It's just kind of being able to witness how far I've come with, yeah. with, with men and, and, mm-hmm. my wor- and my worth standing on its own and actually not needing anything from them. Um, <laughs> it's amazing, I know. It is. It's so amazing. We are just talking about this. This one man that I've been involved with for the last couple of years, I you know sent him a very sweet text message this morning. Or it, which was his night, and he didn't respond in the exact it, like he he didn't even acknowledge it, um, which is kind of his way. And then you know, and then, but it didn't even it didn't even phase me. But Normally, a year ago, that would have been sent you into a spiral. It would have needed something from him. You yeah. needed him to reciprocate and respond. And in order for me to be okay, and I just it doesn't even it didn't even. Um, it didn't even no, nothing. It didn't poke anywhere. It didn't. Mm-hmm. It didn't. There was no bristle. We had a really sweet conversation, and at the end, he was, you know, like, and very. He was giving you, yeah. He gave me what I needed, or like, he, right? He reciprocated in his own way without me forcing it, right? And and also, if, even if he there. didn't do that, it would have been fine. And so it's yeah. just, I guess, what I'm like. The the point of it is that. I just, you know, nothing ever goes away until it teaches you what you need to learn. And um, it's just, I, I've watched this girl for the last couple of years just start, you know, below <laughs> in the valley. Um, and really, like, just kind of march through this, these, a lot of these really painful and, and um, confusing relationships with men. Um, and she's well, just Well, you also so kind of thought you now. were fucked in this way. Like, you've always kind of talked like, this is my thing, and I'm just kind of <laughs> fucked in this way. Well, and, <laughs> I mean. But um, I mean, what I, what I am getting from what you're saying is that we change. We can change. Oh like, all the work matters. All the effort, all the seemingly just banging our head against the wall, you, you do a lot of work. I do so much work in this area. Sure this. Yeah. And, 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 and then you, you can't see it until you can see it, you know, and then all of a sudden you're looking back and, and you have changed. Yeah. It's really, it's really, um, it's very, Oh, there's not even enough words. There's not a right word for it, but um, well, it's beautiful. Yeah, it is, and it feels really beautiful. It really does. Um, it feels great. It feels free. It feels like it just feels like I've ga- I've earned. I've been working. It feels like I've been buying my freedom. You know, um, bit yes. by bit. You have. You uh, have. So that's number two. Um, number three for you. Um, I'll t- keep this one kind of, I'll keep this one brief. Um, this is, I will, I don't want to like go into that because those are the two big things. I think the other thing that I have been thinking about is really my daughter and just how, um, how much I adore this human and how lucky I am to be her mother and how much fun she is right now. It's seven and 
I put, I put this little exchange. I'll sum it up by this. I put up this little exchange on my personal Facebook um, page the other night, but she, I mean, she is sassy and seven is she's, it's a whole different world, but she looks at me just totally disgusted. And she was like, mom, you don't even know anything about everything. Do you, or you don't know anything about anything. Do you? And I laughed. I was like, no, I don't know any, I don't know anything about anything. She's like, I knew it. (laughs) 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 But you know, that's like such a revelation for her. Like you get that, right? Like she actually, it was like, she didn't think it was funny at all. She was just like, ugh. But, um, I, we have like 10 exchanges like that a day that are so, they're just so great. She's off at camp. I'm thinking about her a lot because she went to camp last night. She stayed overnight at um at a little camp uh, down the road. I'm picking her up this afternoon, and I missed her. So yeah, and just how um, nice—it's the biggest gift of my sobriety by far. Yeah, to be a, her mom. Yeah. So, what's your third? Um. Can I talk about, can I have you talk about your pastries? No, that's not my third. Um, (laughs) Can it be your fourth? (laughs) Yes. No, my third is trusting the timing of my life. Um, Mm. It's so hard to step away from, um, from, from work and, um, and also let some balls drop and also, um, so you're not going to Disapp- do your podcast for a month. Yeah, and, and possibly disappoint some people and not return emails. And, um, and, and it's, um, it's, I've been my, you know, it's been a hard month this last month. Not in like a, it's not been like a hard month. It's just been a very, um, it's, it's transformative. It's, it's unsettling. I come apart, I come back together and. It's a different kind of hard than the push of hard when you're at work or it's, yeah. it's a, yeah. Yeah. And it's, for me, it's just the thing I've been writing. I've been writing in my journal every day. And one of the things I keep on repeating is that my work is happening in the time, in the, in the, my work, my work, my, my, you know, which is my everything is happening in the right time. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely it definitely is. And I know it is. And it's, it's trusting that and just allowing, allowing all these things, really allowing all these things to just happen as they're happening and trust that I, everything that's happening, I'm a container for right now. Right. Like, so I'm I'm a container for these experiences that I am having with men. I'm a container for, um, for being, for being somebody that can handle a month off of, you know, or two off of work with, um, you know, with, with, with all of the ambiguity that surrounds that. I'm somebody that, that is going, you know, I'm, I'm a container for what's coming next. Um, but it's just, just really trusting that everything as it is right now is how it's supposed to be, is Mm -hmm. not supposed to be one step faster or further. And, um, yeah. And so that's it. It's, It's just this really like sweet, surrender (laughs) into Mm -hmm. (laughs) um into saying I don't know what's happening right now I don't have any answers about what's going on right now um I'm not you know like the sweet surrender into trusting that um 
that it's all going to happen. Everything I, I'm working for is going to happen. And, it's and it happening. is happening. And it that, is happening right yeah, now. Yeah, that's the thing. I think it's so hard to, it's been a complete undoing for both of us. Um, and I think for everybody in our culture to, to let in this idea that we can, things happen without us asserting our will to make them happen all the time. Yeah. <laughs> it's totally not what we say, you know, what we're told in America. It's like, you do this thing and you get this thing. You work harder, you do this. You And it's so contrary. It's one thing to talk about it, talk about letting go and surrender. But when you're actually forced to do it, you know, it's, it's a whole different game. Um, especially when what you're doing is not necessarily your preference for how things are going to go or what they look like. Or what you think they should look like. What you think they should look like. And, you know, that ranges from you being able to experience what sounds like a vast luxury for probably a lot of people to go spend um, a couple of months in Rome. Um, to ranges from that to accepting that, you know, maybe your child is sick and that those that there's surrender and all those moments um, are important. Yeah. Yeah. And not just important, it's like necessary. It it's is. It's the, the struggle, um, the the suffering that... It's so useless. It's so useless to struggle against what actually is. It's just such a waste of fucking time. If I... There's a thing. I wish I had all those... Like, I'm sitting here and I'm in Rome. And what am I doing? I'm thinking about what else I should be doing. I mean, what's... It's just fucking insane, right? But we had a conversation. Um, I mean, I think... You know, I've, I've watched you do this a couple of times now and, you know, it always takes you like a month to breathe, like to settle down into yeah. it. And then the last part, you are able to do that and really enjoy it. And we had a talk a, like maybe a week ago or two weeks ago where you flipped, you know, you went from like this grasping, freaking out place to what what am I doing? And just, you, I flipped. I have, I've like, it's, it's, it's been, uh, I've been enjoying the fuck out of the last couple of weeks. And Mm -hmm. so the pastries, okay. There is, let's end with that. There's a shop that is 0.3 miles away from my house. And, um, it's on the other side of trustivity. It's like this, it's like only like some tourists wander in there, but it's like mostly Italians and it's run by, it's like a family and they make their own pastries. Like a lot of the pastry, a lot of the Cornetto in, in Italy is mass produced and frozen, like 90% of it. And so you go in and you get the same shit in every shop. So you have to find actual pasticceria and this one makes their own and they make them small batch. They, they, and they run out every day. And, like, so I go early to get, and they know, I order two every time. Like, it's always, like, they kind of shake their head, un altro cappuccino, un altro, yes, I want another, I want another. Um, <laughs> but I, anyways, so I always start with a semplice, cornetto semplice, which is, like, this just, oh, it's a, a hot, uh, doughy, buttery, and it's, I think they use margarine, because everything here is vegan. Um, a lot of things are vegan. Um. Pastry. Really? Pastries, 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 sorry. 
A lot of the cornetos yeah. are advertised as, as vegan, and it's because they use mar- margarine. Um, Interesting. Doesn't matter. Tastes good. Um, and it's like, and it's got this sweet glaze on it. Or I get the cornetto marmalada albacoca, which is just like a cornetto, like a hot cross- croissant with um, with apricot jam. Ah, it's so good. And it's hot, and it's, oh, my God. And then they also, this place I go to happens to make the best cappuccino I've ever had in my entire uh. life. So, um, so yeah. I wish you could email one to me. I know. I really do. It's like the one thing I did try one time I went to, when I was in Sicily, I went and I got all of these candies. It was so funny. And I mailed $50 worth of candies and spent another $50 (laughs) on the shipping to my family. Cause I was like, I've got to taste these. They got there. A week after I returned. A month later they landed. Were they good still? No. Yeah. No, Posta Italiana is like the shittiest mail service in the world. So it like, <laughs> like a month later, <laughs> it's bent and totally butchered. That's anyway, funny. okay. So why don't you introduce Meg? Um, yeah. So we had a non. We, this is the longest introduction in the history, but you know what? We Fuck it. this is our last one <laughs> for the month, and we love you all, and we will see you in September, debuting mm. with Glennon or Tommy. We don't know yet. or Tommy Rosen. Yeah, uh, one or one or the other, both amazing. Um, okay, so Meg Watterson. Meg Watterson uh, is who we are talking to today. She is the founder of Reveal, which is uh, an organization that spiritually empowers women. Her whole thing is connecting to the divine feminine, and um, we. she explains what that actually means. I didn't know what it meant. All I know was I was interested in understanding what feminine energy and masculine energy really means um, versus what we think it mean means. And I came across her talk. Uh, she was on the Hay House. She has a great talk on hayhouse.com. Um, and she is an author of a couple books. Uh, one is called Reveal. It's uh, a sacred manual for getting spiritually naked. And the other one is how to love yourself and sometimes other people that she Mm -hmm. co-authored with uh, Lodro Rinsler, probably pronouncing that very wrong, but she um, has a really interesting story. She has sexual abuse in her history, which caused her to really be interested in women's with the body the female body and it took her on this path she's highly educated yeah Uh, she has a master of theological studies from harvard divinity school and a master of divinity from columbia university and um she's done a lot of talks on like women's radio um feminist.com new york times and She's got her website is Megan Watterson. We'll post that. Uh, I just really enjoyed her talk. She's also a mother um, and she talks about that, you know, how, how about her uh, spirituality uh, as it relates to being a mom. Yeah. I thought it was just great just because we talk about this divine feminine thing all the time. And she really does a good job of explaining what it is. Uh, also, yeah. just um, I read one of the books that she recommended, which was um, the Gnostic, it's a Gnostic gospel, the gospel mm-hmm. of Mary Magdalene. 
which was fantastic. Um, but it's just is a great conversation. I loved I loved having these conversations. It's an important one just because one of the other themes that of of my life and I think your life and, and it kind of happened around the point where um, we really started where we, we had that first interview with Glennon um, when I got mangry. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. This is just for me, I never really identified as a feminist. And I yeah. like all of a sudden um, I really, really you did. Yeah, I did. I do. And um, and so it's something I've been exploring, something I've been really interested in. And um, and it's uh, and it's just part of that. It's part of the key. I, it's, I, yeah. I, I read Bell Hooks and Mary Magdala and we had this conversation with her and we had the conversation with Glennon. And I read Glennon's book and these things kind of came together just to start to really pave the way. And then I read these other books on like all the single women and these things just started to really form together into like it like it's just like anything else when we start to really like try and pull the thread at a subject that we're not 100 percent comfortable in this is right this is a really great conversation to help me kind of uh not kind of help me really get to this place of of understanding um femininity and Mm -hmm. feminism and um masculinity and 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 this you know all this yeah she was interested in where why women don't appear in um in religion really i mean that's why she went into studying her theological studies and so she t- i mean we don't i could it- answer that <laughs> well we don't get into we don't get into it on this talk but i have always been very drawn to mary magdalene in her story and i don't know why because i knew nothing about it but um i think that was i heard her talk about uh, mary magdalene and her hay house talk and that's kind of i was like i want to have her on so yeah, so this is this is Meg Watterson, and I hope you all love Just it. Just to be clear, though, the book is Mary Magdala, the um, the one that we that we uh, she recommended. It's it's I think there's a couple of different. Um, I think it's Mary Magdalene and Mary Magdala. Ah, uh, okay. Just cool. to be sure. Okay, great. Again, see you in September. Okay. Bye, guys. Bye. Hey, Meg. <laughs> <laughs> oh. How are you? I'm wonderful, thank you. Hello. Good. There's Holly. So we are. <laughs> and there's Holly. And there's Holly. Are you are you caffeinating yourself? Me? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Good. Is that a question uh, that needs to be asked ever? Uh, um. Yes, that's true. <laughs> All right. So, so Hank, thank you so much for coming on. And I, I'm really, I've been um, kind of more and more in the, over the past week, just revisiting your work and listening to some of your talks. And I'm so excited to bring you to our listeners. Um, we haven't, we certainly haven't had anyone on with your background before. And I guess I, I would love to start by you explaining how you got into this work. Like I've heard it and I've read it in your books, but how you found, you know, you started this, this journey that you've been on, which really started at a really young age, right? Yes. It was kind of dramatic too. It was, um, well, it was sort of pronounced. I, and I've met with other women who've had this kind of experience. Um, but my first encounter with the Bible was in a 
Sunday school class that my mom had basically forced me to go to because she she was a secular feminist and really not into all the questions I started asking her about. Uh you know, where did we come from? Where are we going to go? Like what, you know, what's going on here? Like what, At what age? At what age? Uh, probably seven. Yeah. Probably, yeah. I was around seven or eight. And I could not stop, could not stop. And so she had me go to a Unitarian church. Cause that was like the only one she could stomach. Um, cause they were super, super liberal. Mm-hmm. And I remember my Sunday school teacher, he had socks with sandals. I remember that so vividly. And he was, he was explaining to us that God, um, for the majority of Muslims, Jews, and Christians, um, God is understood to have spoken and written, you know, the Bible. And that was something I couldn't get out of my head. You know, it was sort of swimming through my head when I was sitting there in class. And I kept thinking, like, God wrote a book? Like, God wrote this? And I'm trying to imagine what that looked like, right? And and how that actually happened. And then we were reading. And of course, a lot of the stories were deeply upsetting. And it took me a little bit to figure out why. I mean, there's a lot of violence and, you know, craziness going on. But what was at the root of my concern, and eventually my rage, like I I began to get deeply, deeply angry in the course of reading the Bible. And what I realized was that we weren't hearing from any strong, dominant women. Like we were hearing about them, but we really didn't have a sense of them being their own characters, being their own stories, like having their own voice within yeah. the te- within the text. And it freaked me out because this was supposed to be God's word and God had written this and something deep, deep within me. And I'm not sure if you no can understand what I'm saying when I when I say this, but it's it's as if I knew that there was another way or I knew that there was something else, but I didn't know what it was. I just knew for me this this wasn't my interpretation or my version of God. Like this wasn't and and but I didn't know what that was. Yeah. Right. But I I just felt I just felt well so what ended up happening is I I broke out in hives. I was so upset. How old are you I, again right at this I was I was about eleven by then. Okay. Um, so I'd been going for a couple of years, and I. So been, you're at like Sunday school. You're reading the Bible, and you break out in hives. I break out, <laughs> and I mean, I I look like Gorbachev. You know, I've got like this rash across my face, and I, you know, you know how there's like a knowing within you that's just too deep and too loud to even touch with words. You know, it was one of those knowings. It was just this profound like overwhelming knowing that I needed to get out. I was in the wrong place. You know, it was like retreat, retreat. Just this very loud, deep, deep sense that I needed to leave. And so I did. I I literally, I didn't know what to say and I didn't know how to express my anger or, or like the emotion that was surging through me. And so I left and I went, you know, to wait on the curb for my mom to pick me up. And I, I was sitting there and I realized that the, at the root of the anger was a deep, deep fear. You know, it was really fear. And, um, and I started crying when, as I was sitting there because I realized that if that was God, if that was the majority, for the majority of, you know, for the past millennia, if this is the concept of God, then... And, you know, and women don't have a voice in that, a primary equal voice in 
the defining and naming and, um, you know, prayer of God, like what that looks like if their bodies aren't considered sacred in the same way as men, you know, I'm sitting here in a little female body. I realized that, you know, for the first time in my life that I, I really felt, I I felt terrified to be female. That's what, that's what the emotion was. It was that if that was God and God was male and men were the ones who really dictated the stories of God, then I was afraid to be in a female body. Um, so that's what happened. Did you say that to your, did you like, do you, did you know that then or were you? I did. Yeah. I I did know I was terrified to be female, but what I didn't know was what to do with it. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know how to, all I knew was that I couldn't go back to church. Um, and so what ended up happening because my mom was a feminist is I started studying, I started studying like, you know, about witches and, and the, the, the sort of unruly spiritual misfits throughout history, the, the, the mystics and um, uh, like Rumi and uh, Rabia and all of these characters throughout history that um, didn't really fit or couldn't be f- confined within their institutional religion at, and yet came to the same realization that at the core of what God might be is love, you know, a love that is love, that is love, that is love, that's beyond anything we could ever understand uh, from a human ego place, you know, that it's just this absolute source of love. And when I started coming across that, that was, that was where I identified that started to become my sense of church was that idea of love, love being the ultimate reality. And what were some of the, Sorry. Um, I'm no, curious. Go. Okay. So you're at, you're at what age doing this and what are like some of the books that you like really stick out to you as you're, as, as you're thinking back to this time, what well, are the ways that you explored this? What, what I started to lean into were the saints and the mystics. So I started studying like Julian of Norwich or, um, let's see, who is one of my favorites. I came across Simone Weil. Um, when I was a, a young teenager, she's a French mystic uh, who just she was known as the Red Virgin. And um, later in life, I ended up going on a pilgrimage and sort of following in some of her footsteps. But there were these people in history. So it wasn't one book that I found. And, and that was part of the problem, um, a problem that became something I knew I needed to solve. Yeah. I couldn't find a book that gathered all of these sort of aberrant mystics, you know, these people who didn't fit within an institution, but these people who are sort of finding this same thread of love within their spiritual paths. So, and because I had my mom as this, you know, flaming feminist, she would help me out to find different women in history um, who sort of stood out. And so I would read about them in particular, like Marguerite Porette, another French mystic who I adored. Um, and she, she ended up being burned at the stake because she wrote a book um, that described the way that we can connect to God or the divine from within us and our souls can unite with God from within. And the church, of course, found that so threatening. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you wrote about that in Reveal, I think. Yeah. What is the, yeah. 
Yes, because there's no middleman then. There's no one overseeing the whole process. You know, <laughs> yes. you're just, it's like you can just commune and connect to the divine from within. Really, that's displacing an external church, having, you know, a place you have to go to and pay and um, really create a sense of reverence towards it's displacing that and it's moving that sanctuary or that cathedral into the heart, you know, into your own body. And, and in a way then no one can touch you and your relationship to the divine. And that was, that was seen as so subversive because the church at that time really wanted to have a sense of sovereignty over people's connection to the divine. So, so she was, her, her book was burned first, which I, I, I still find so incredibly fascinating. It gives me chills. They burned her book first. It was called The Mirror of Simple Souls. And then they burned her at the stake. Mm-hmm. This was in the, middle, in the Middle Ages. But that's how powerful the idea of a, of a woman connecting to the love within her. That's how threatening and powerful it was. Yeah. yeah. And so you're like, you're just, you're just following your sign of your sort of curiosity and your passion for knowing more about this. Yes, yes, yes. And I would say a deep anxiety. I mean, it it was really that, that fear, that terror of realizing, you know, when I started getting older, um, I had been, I'd been sexually abused and I started making the connection when I realized about women around the world. You know, I, I remember seeing this TV show. Oh my God, I was such a wreck. There was some ad and it was for, um, you know, a charity, like a children's charity or something to donate. Um, and I swear to God, I almost packed up my bags and moved to India, but they were describing the issue that these orphanages were just overflowing with baby girls because no one wanted the baby girls. And uh, they, you know, had these images of all these little baby girls in these orphanages, and they had no one. And, of course, I was, I was bawling, and I was just, you know, I wanted to go move there. And, but a really profound, profound thing happened to me in the course of, like, you know, being ignited with that fear and terror around the fact that girls' bodies, women's bodies, female body is not considered sacred, you know, and, and beginning to notice on a world scale, the way that that played out, um, that, you know, the violence against women, uh, the compromising their, their rights and, um, their education. When I began to really, really understand that I knew there was no, there was no place I could go to try to stop this or save this, right? Like it was all over. It was so pervasive. Yeah, it was too big for one little Midwestern girl, you know, to solve. Like there was, so what I began to realize was the power and the importance of solving it within myself Mm -hmm. was knowing that, okay, I couldn't love every single little abandoned girl in India. I couldn't do that. I wanted to, Mm -hmm. I couldn't do that. But what I could do was I could try to harness that impulse, you know, that, that desire to want to go save. And I could instead direct it inward towards myself and really figure out how do I save this one life right here? You know? Yeah. Um, So what did that look like? Like what did, how did that, what did that look like in the beginning? Well, um, you know, it, 
initially because uh, by the by the time I was going off to college, you know, my repressed memories. Anyone who's ever been abused, you know, goes through a different. Uh, everyone goes through different processes, and uh, and a lot of people at that point can turn to you know a form of numbing in order to not have to experience the the terror or. Um, what, what I went through was uh, a really intense anxiety disorder. I mean, super profound where, you know, when it was at its worst, um, I, I, I almost became a hermit because I, I, it started with a fear of a phobia of flying. Yeah. That was, was, yeah, that was the first that started, but it was also the last to go. But what, the other things that started surfacing was like agoraphobia. I mean, I started getting nervous just to leave the house. And then I didn't want to be around people mostly because I didn't want them to have to see me have a panic attack because they're, they're so crazy looking. I mean, um, it's sort of like this, this anticipatory anxiety starts to build up because you know, it's like the equivalent of suddenly getting naked in front of everyone. You know, it's, it's like your clothes spontaneously. Oh um, no, what well, we both get it. I mean, I had, a, I was agoraphobic around like before I found oh, yoga. Okay. Yeah, so I, I suffered with okay. panic attacks deeply, and I know exactly what you're talking about. Like, it's, okay. your world okay. shrinks, and you, yeah, it sounds, it sounds to anybody that's not experienced it, it sounds very weird. The, the fear of actually going out in public, but it's, um, yeah, it's so real. It's so real. <laughs> It's so real. And so what, what the, the beginning of it for me, the beginning of that process of returning began with this adorable, amazing, loving, fierce, fierce little light of a man who looked exactly like Mr. Miyagi. He was at, at <laughs> he was the meditation teacher and the Pure Land Buddhist teacher at Smith College. And he, he offered this meditation class in in the basement of a church you know it was like once a week and so I started doing that and (laughs) because I had this anxiety disorder that the moment I started meditating you know it's kind of like suddenly getting oxygen you know it's it's like Mm -hmm. suddenly suddenly you know when you're just about to drown being handed an oxygen mask and that's what it felt like to me yes and so I I showed up like my life depended on it, you know, and, and he was just one of those figures, you know, when you're walking this path of love, when you're, when you're wanting to become more love and more light, what I find, which is intrinsically true with, for every one of us is that we are handed these people. We are led and guided to these people that then help us along the way. And they are, you know, so it's like, we don't have a Hogwarts, you know, we don't have like a concentration of these people who are going to help us, you know, become the magical creatures that we are. But it's like, it's sort of like a, a string of Hogwarts professor, professors show up at like different points in our life. And it, at different points, when we say yes towards the love and no towards the fear, you know, yeah. it's like, it usually tends to be those moments. So, so Mr. Miyagi was my moment. He was, his name was Dr. Uno which is so like, I love that his name was Uno. You know, it's like mm-hmm. teaching me to become one, one. with my inner yeah. peace, you know. And, and But that was really his name. And he just was so profound. And he he saw how, um, how much it was a transformative experience for me. And so he sent me 
on a two-week Vipassana retreat at this place called the Insight Meditation Center in Barrie, Massachusetts. And that really ended up changing my life because it was two solid weeks of meditation and we couldn't speak from nine in the morning to nine at night. And Holly just did one of those. Oh, isn't that profound? Yeah, it was, it was, um, it was one of the, um, Dhamma orgs. It was, uh, the two, it was the 10 day silence and it was, it was pure, like there was no, there was no break in the silence. Um, it, it was, yeah, but it was, it was, yes, it was very, but you did that very young, like that, that. And you went from just doing, were you meditating? So were you doing it once a week just with, with, with Mr. Uno, with Dr. Uno or Mr. Uno? Yeah. Once Dr. a week, Uno. Dr. Uno, yeah. and then you went from once a week to doing it for 14 days? Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What was that yeah. like? Well, I mean, at first it was, uh, it, 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 I dreaded it. You know, I dreaded each next day because it was, it felt so long. It, yeah. it, it, I couldn't believe how much time changed. I mean, it just, it, it felt so excruciatingly long, but what ended up happening was that at some point, probably four or five days in, I really began to distinguish between the voices. I really started to hear that silent, unassuming voice of love within me, the one that would lead me out of the panic disorder, you know, the one that would eventually lead me to what it is that I really had to do and, and what I knew I had to do, what I had always known I needed to do. Um, but when you have to be that quiet and you, you can't hear, you can't, when you can't hear the voice that you use to speak to others, you begin to hear the voice that you use just to yourself. Mm -hmm. And and that was the gift that those two weeks gave to me. And I, I have a sense that Dr. Uno knew that that was going to happen. And it changed my life, you know. And then, of course, I craved it. You know, once I came back, it's because yeah. you're also renewed in a way when, when you realize how much we speak when we don't need to. You know, so often we, we just talk because we're filling an, an awkward silence or we're either taking care of our own ego or someone else's. And when, when you go that long without talking, you really see how loud silence is. You really see how um, someone's presence says something that's so much louder than, than what they say with words. Like you really begin to listen to so much more than, than what we say with our, with our egos. Yeah. And so that, that it really changed, it changed me most fundamentally, because then I was listening, I craved connecting to that still quiet voice within me. That was the most phenomenal way that it changed me. But then the other way that it changed me is that I started to recognize um, how exhausted I was if I didn't meditate, you know, if I didn't uh, create space. Yeah, just that quiet sanctuary, I began to crave that need to go inward in the same way, you know, once you start working out, you really crave it. It doesn't become a chore. It's like, you feel that, you know, if you don't do it. So yeah, I I just so clearly, like you're describing this and I so clearly see the paths, like how path the paths could have changed in so many ways, you know, like I had similar feelings to you, not specifically about being a woman, but 
anxieties, you know, like we all do. I had similar anxieties, similar feelings that felt so big to me and, um, these knowings and stuff. But I went, you know, I, among other things, drank. Yeah. And I think a lot of, a lot of people, women, men, every, you know, we all do something like that. And, and you, you describing what you craved in the meditation is very similar to what I craved about drinking. Mm. Um, it just, it, that just hit me as you were talking and how, how lucky you were to find this guy and how, how amazing that is to find it at that age too. Yes. Yes. Anyway, um, sorry to to stop you there, but. Oh, it's gorgeous. Yes. And it's, you know, the, the distance, um, what I've said so often when I'm working with women is that, um, when we're embodied, you know, when we're fully connected to that, that voice, there's, we feel everything and we can't not know what's true for us. Mm -hmm. And, and that can be a lot, you know, that can be really intense to know your own truth, because sometimes that means changing everything outside of you. You know, Augustine Burroughs came on and said um, an amazing thing. He said, the truth is, the truth can be very expensive. Exactly. Exactly. It can cost us everything. It can cost us everything. And so, so sometimes what we crave, what we need is the distance. We need the distance from, we need the, you know, I refer to it as numbing. Like for me, the anxiety, what it did was, you know, it's, I I always say things happen for us, you know, that there, that even these negative things that arise, um, they're somehow working in an effort of us becoming more whole. There's a teleological force at work that wants us to be able to become whole, wants us to become the love that we are. And so the anxiety disorder, what it did for me is it gave me some space from how much I knew and how much I, I could see, how much I could feel. It would give me this distance between myself and my own soul. And at that point, I really needed it. You needed I, it. I needed the time and I needed the process of integration it's like in order to heal the anxiety disorder, I had to find my way back into my body because I would disassociate. You know, I'm not sure if that's what, Holly, you felt when you had a panic attack, but it was a, for me, it was an extreme sense of disassociation. I mean, I sometimes felt like I wasn't even in my body. You know, I, would, I was like hovering somewhere above it or outside of it. But I, I, it was an, an intense experience for me of disassociation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For me, it was just um, being afraid of losing control of my body. I act for like it was a really weird manifestation. I actually forgot which my left hand. It still freaks me out to talk about it, but I I would forget what my <laughs> left hand was and what was my right hand, and I started uh-huh. to think oh, I can't even actually can't even finish the thought still. Um, but yeah, it right. is. Um, I the panic attacks weren't the things that I like. It wasn't that was not my turning point. Um, that was the start of something, but the turning point for me was was after like major alcohol addiction and, and eating disorders. Um, I, I can yeah. I I continue I forged on. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so Megan, you're so you're so you go on to like tell us tell us a little bit about I mean, bring us to sort of today or at least closer yeah. to today. Yeah, so so my practice in meditation uh, eventually led me into a 
deep desire to learn more about contemplative prayer. You know, I, I, I didn't necessarily identify with the Buddhist tradition. Um, I felt that there was more alignment for me and more history, uh, more pathos and, uh, energy around the Christian tradition. And, but I, I wanted to first study the, um, the contemplative, you know, this idea of going, cause I wondered where did it go within the Christian tradition? You know, like this effort of going inward or, yeah. And I, I found that connect, connection in the, the contemplatives. Um, and so I started studying just still in line with my obsession with mystics. Um, I, I ended up studying the Desert Fathers and these group of mystics known as the Hesychists. And the word Hesychiah in Greek means stillness. And basically what they would do is they'd go out in the desert and they would go inward into their hearts and meditate and uh, repeat the prayer of the heart. And their goal then was to be able to always be connected to the divine. And that's what I felt like I needed, you know, in order to overcome the tremendous amount of fear and terror, I felt, you know, the for the majority of every day, I, I couldn't just go meditate on a Sunday or, or worship on a Sunday or, or on holidays, you know, I, I really needed that sense of connection every, every single moment. And so I began to study them and, um, and I created a more modern female version of it or not necessarily female, but see what they did was they curl forward and like physically, like physically, they curled forward over their hearts to bring their consciousness into their heart. And it was like this effort of, you know, but it killed my neck and my back. And, you know, maybe it's because I have, I have a large chest. I don't, I don't really know what it was, but it did not work for me. And I was, you know, I wasn't going to continue to do that. And so I wanted to create something where I felt very comfortable in my body. And I didn't want that to be an issue. And I also, you know, I wanted to create a practice of going inward to the heart, but I also, I wanted it to be more of a dialogue rather than just a repetition or a prayer. Yeah. And so, so I created something called the soul voice meditation over the years. Um, and this is also in the process of going back because that thirst and that hunger for voices of women that, that never left me, um, in, in the, while doing this personal practice, spiritual practice myself, I I went to Harvard and I, I got a degree in comparative religion studying the divine feminine across different um, cultures and throughout history and uh, went on a couple of pilgrimages to the divine feminine. And what I found in the course of that work was that um, I really... I needed to return to Christianity and I really needed to understand why I had such a physical visceral reaction yeah. to, to the Bible. And what I found when I went back to seminary, I ended up going to union at Columbia and, and doing a master's of divinity degree. Um, what I found was Gosh. that for me, bless you. Was that a sneeze? No, oh. <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> I couldn't understand. I love that. Bless you as a question. <laughs> um, what I ended up finding was that uh, the character for me in my story that was really missing was Mary Magdalene, and and the 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 wisdom and the voice of women 
Um, and so when I went back to the divinity school, I began to really understand and uncover her, her story as a historical figure. And, um, which was such a healing process for me. And, um, and then spiritually coming across her gospel was so profound. I mean, I didn't even know she had a gospel. Um, but so then why was it, why was it profound? Cause I, I, I know, cause I've read, I, but I want you to explain it. Cause I think it's, it was so profound for me because she, so the emphasis throughout the gospel is of going inward and that the truth is within and the entire gospel is of her telling the disciples the way that she saw Jesus from within her. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, it's really a metaphysical text and it describes the way that we all have this power and this connection to become so united or, or one with our soul that we can connect um, to that source of love, to that, however you'd want to describe it, to the truth, yep. we can connect to that light from within us. And it was so profound for me because personally, that's what, that's where my story had led me, but I didn't have a spiritual text to, to explain to, it. Or, yeah. To explain it or support me. And it was like when I already gone through it myself, then I found the text. And then I said to my, you know, I, I really understood, okay, this is what I'm meant to do. I'm meant to create the book for other women so that they don't have to spend, you know, seven years in graduate school and going on pilgrimages. And, you know, the, the book that I really needed when I was a teenager and, and was initiated really by that, those hives and wanted to hear and know and understand women's voices within religion. And, um, you know, what does it sound like what does prayer look like? What does it mean to be spiritual for a woman who's yeah. embodied? What does that mean? So, so then I wrote that book. So when that was like, I mean, this took a lot, that was how many years later that you studied her 20? Yeah. I, it's from the moment I walked out of the church to, I was 25 when I found her gospel. So, so yeah, 13 years. Okay. I've, I, I'm sorry. I have, um, couple of questions. Number one, what is the divine feminine? I, it's a word that I feel is so overused. Yes. I still yes. do not understand what the hell it means. Like what, when we're talking <laughs> about divine feminine, what does that yes. mean? Yes. Okay. So the way I like to describe it is it's as simple as saying, uh, so let's, let's, Let's look at an icon, for example. Let's look at a very common icon of, let's imagine we're looking at Kali and Shiva, right? Most often, um, the, the icon of Kali is standing on the god Shiva. So it's, it's Kali and Shiva. And the goddess Kali is this powerful, powerful Indian goddess. And she is uh, the god goddess of Tantra. She is... Um, you know, incredibly powerful. And then Shiva is also incredibly powerful and he's a God and he's very well known within the Hindu pantheon. So when we look at this figure, she is Shakti. She represents Shakti, which is the energy of the divine feminine. And he represents, Shiva represents the energy of the divine masculine. 
Now, when you look at them together, the icon almost, they're almost always seen together um, in images, whether it's a statue or, or like a picture, an image of the two of them. What so much of us, so many of us haven't understand and throughout much of history, what we haven't understood is that they go together and they represent two sides of what it means to be fully human, two sides yes. of what it means for us to be whole. Yes. We are both masculine and feminine. But what has happened on a world scale when it comes to institutional religion is that we have just deified the divine masculine. Yes. And we have hidden or uh, remained silent where we haven't, you know, really spoken as loudly and clearly about the divine feminine. So she, she uh, was... Another great example, take the two examples of Mary Magdalene and Jesus Christ. It's, a, it's the same, it's the same effort. It's, it's the exact same um, misalignment or myopia. You know, it's like we're a cyclops when it comes to religious right. holiness right. because we know Jesus and we know his whole story and we understand this idea of the masculine being divine but do we, you know, we're only beginning to hear Mary Magdalene's story and her voice and the fact that her energy is also divine. It's different, but divine. Yeah, and that the, those energies don't belong to male right. as, as masculine and female as feminine, that the exactly. that both really exist in, in all of us. In each of us. Yeah, and I think exactly. this is a really important thing because a lot of times we think of defined feminine, we think of, we, we do, we think of this, we, we think of masculine men, feminine women. And yeah. I think it's a really important concept to also talk about in terms of what that means for men and women, which means that for men, the underdeveloped side is the feminine aspect within them. Right. It's the undervalued right. side of them, which actually works, you know, deeply against their own evolution. It's not just a man versus woman thing. It's a, it's exactly. a, it's a thing that the loss of this and, and the disconnection from this affects men just as much as it affects women. Deeply. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We, we can't, we can't as a sex be suffering without the other sex also be suffering. It's, it works together. It's hand in hand. And as you said, we each have to find our own relation to developing to what that looks like from within us. And then that's our, you know, so that there's this sense of wholeness, you know, I'm not seeking a man to, to be my masculine. I'm, I'm also developing that from within me and vice versa. So, so a man is really understanding that he can connect to the love within, that he can show and express his sensitivity, his right. love, his vulnerability. And, and then also just in elaborating and illuminating more about what the divine feminine is, yeah. the divine masculine would be that effort within us to bring something forth in the world, you right. know, to put, to put our words, our love, our expression, our art, our creativity. It's a creative force, it right? It's a creative force that allows us to move out in the world and hold us and hold whatever it is that we have found from within us. And the divine feminine is that effort of us going inward and hearing what that truth is right. and knowing what that truth is. Right. And that's something, that's a gift and, and a treasure. And like the most, mm -hmm. I think, one of the most profound things that we can do, whether we're a male or female, is this effort and this energy of going inward and really hearing what is it that I've come here to do? Who, who am I? Right. Like what's important? 
to me, those that's that's a contemplative and um, you know a, a more inward search that's associated with the divine feminine. Right. Yeah. And it's so interesting because you see it in the world today. You see it as when women are really put down, when they're really really um, devalued for their inherent qualities of like this femininity. It's also a lot of it. It's like within the male, within the male psyche also just like kind of rejecting that own part of themselves. I mean, it's, it's just exactly. like, yeah. exactly what it is. It's a projection of right. rejecting their own inner feminine. Right. I, so I have a question also on a different topic because I had the same experience of I had to go back through Christianity in order to like, it didn't feel complete for me in my, in my exploration, like my, my own understanding, my knowing, my, my belief did not come full circle until I brought it back in to Christianity. Mm -hmm. And my way in was actually through Jesus. My way in was like trying to figure out where that piece of the puzzle worked. That was for me one, one big aha key moment. What do you think it is that drove you to have to go back to Christianity? Because a lot of people just say, fuck it. And they just throw it to the wayside and they move over to an Eastern philosophy, which is still not perfect. Um, but they move over to an Eastern philosophy because, or they say I'm spiritual, I'm not religious. And they just kind of ditch this whole Christianity thing without taking into account. It's been like one of the most guiding force, you know, it's, it's been what has, has systematically helped, you know, develop the world that we live in today. And so it, it, like, it can't just be discounted. So I'm curious for you, like what it was that, why did you feel so compelled to have to make sense of it through Christianity? Like, why didn't you just throw it out? Well, it's, it's not a, um, it, it's not, it's nothing cognitive or cerebral, you know, it, it was something that was deep, deep and so emotional. It it was, it was like one of those truths. It just, I had to face it. And this is what it felt like if I had stayed within, for example, because I loved, um, I met this, she's quite famous now. She's like a rock star, Ama, the hugging saint. Um, I love, loved her. And I loved the way I felt around her and, you know, going through the whole process and everything was just so beautiful and loving and, um, you know, and she's initiating women into the red thread, which is huge. I mean, she's making, she's changing history. And so I felt very behind and aligned with so much of what she represents. And yet something deep within me couldn't allow, like, I I can't do the whole guru setup. Like it just was, it just was intrinsically not something I could do. It didn't work. And here's what it would have felt like. I would have felt like I was spiritually bypassing what was actually really true. There was, there was something dark and maybe a little bit ugly and terrifying that existed within me in relation to the Christian Catholic church, you know, and if I had stayed and tried to just, you know, be a devotee of Amma, I would have been spiritually bypassing a huge, huge amount of the work that I knew I needed to do. And it was only by going through uh, what, returning to the Christian tradition made me face, you know, made me really look at, it was only, it's, it was only by doing that, that I really healed. And it's, it's particular to all of us. You know, I, I don't, I don't think that any one of us, there's one particular tra- tradition that's going to help really create that kind of wholeness or return us to that sense of love within us. Like I I don't in any way feel Christianity has a corner on it. It's just, it was very unique to me that it felt like, nope, I can't stay here. There's something left undone. There's something that I'm not facing if I stay here. 
Um, and for me, that meant having to go back and understand why did my body have such a visceral reaction at such a young age when encountering the Christian tradition? And what I really, really needed to look at was the fact that, um, you know, part of my work and part of my kind of soul contract or soul assignment in, in being here is to really give voice to Mary Magdalene's gospel and to her work and to the, the voices within the Catholic Christian, um, the voices of the divine feminine. And, and it's so funny that you, you, you know, you, you say that Christ, it's like there's Jesus and then there's Christ. And, and I think that's what, that's the difference that was illuminated to me. I, I had a fear of the Jesus that was presented to me who judged and who, you know, um, allowed for so much um, violence uh, to be done. Mm -hmm. And in the name, in the name of uh, his name. Um, and yet there's, and yet there's this Christ consciousness that I came to, I, that I only allowed myself to come to once, once I had really uncovered Mary Magdalene's story. Then I began to experience this sense of love and justice and profound, profound connection between us all, which began to resonate with me as Christ consciousness. Mm. And, but that felt so different from the Jesus that I was presented to that, you know, with, with the white cross and the KKK and like the, you know, like, oh, like it just, you know, it scared me. It yeah. scared yeah. me as a little. So, um, yeah. No, my, my issue with Jesus was I didn't understand that Jesus was our Lord. And I, I, my thing was more of, I was told over and over again, I wasn't fearful of, of the whole thing. And, um, you know, Jesus Christ, you know, interchangeable for me, but I still feel like the, the yeah. thing that was really hard for me was, was coming to an idea that, uh, I saw, I saw Jesus as a, a son of God and I, I saw us all as sons or daughters, whatever. I mean, but I, I didn't really see, a, a, an elevation. Like I didn't see Jesus as God or my Lord and savior or how, like I, I saw us all as one on some level. And so for me, the hard, right. the hard road in was, was believing that I had to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and savior in order to like right. have some sort of salvation. And so I, it was finding the Gnostic gospels. It was finding, um, like oh, course and miracles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I was wondering who, um, the gospel of Mary Magdalene, who, um, what translation of that did, did you, um, Karen King, Dr. Karen King? Karen King. Yes. She's a Harvard scholar and her, her translation is absolutely profound and she gives historical context then to, to the gospel mm -hmm. and describes, breaks it down metaphysically and theologically mm -hmm. and, uh, she, it's, it's, it's amazing. Mine is actually right here beside me and it's, you know, un underlined in red and dog-eared up the wazoo. It's, it's an amazing, it's an amazing translation. Yeah. I highly re recommend that one. Yeah. I'm going to get so it. So can I, yeah, me too. We'll link to it on, on this. Um, can I ask you then, because as you're talking about sort of your path and I'm thinking, how is she, like, what did this translate to in your practical life like mm -hmm. what work were you doing you know was it related to what you were doing how yes. did this play out in your relationships how did this play yes. out in your daily your life your practical life deeply deeply so you know I love to give some examples of 
because we're talking about self-love and we're talking about the divine feminine and then, but what are, what are some concrete examples that serve as like a bridge, you know, from the talk to the doing? Right. Cause most um, people that are listening are, they might be familiar with some of this stuff. They might even have studied it deeply, but how does it, you know, a lot of people are probably thinking, okay, what does this mean in my life? Right. What does this mean as exactly. a woman who lives today, who is trying to navigate life? Exactly. exactly. So in my workshops and retreats, what I focus on for, you know, the majority of the time is uh, the soul voice meditation, which is uh, this practice of simply learning how to disengage with not only our external world, you know, and, and the noises and everything that's going on, but to disengage with the voices within us that are filled with fear with uh, filled with judgment or hatred or, and really learning how to go into the heart and to understand the heart as sort of our own little sanctuary, you know, that goes with us wherever we go so that we have it with us, you know, in those moments when we need it the most, you know, for me, it remains, you know, when we hit turbulence on an airplane, you know, it's like, boom, I go right, I go right into my heart and I just sit there. And so it's this, it's creating, it's the cultivation of creating a space within us where we are connected to love and we are that love. And And that can be like, you're talking through the soul voice meditation is as an actual meditation practice. Like I've heard you. Yes. Yes. So it's an actual meditation process you know, and you can listen to a guided meditation that I have, a soul voice meditation on my website, but, but really at the heart of it, what I would say is it's simply because we all are mystical creatures inherently. We are a soul in a human body. So it inherently creates these incredible ways that we have to connect. Some of us are very, um, visual, and we, what, when we start to take the time, carve out even just five minutes a day and just go inward, some, some, some people, women begin to see images or visions. Some, some people are very emotional and will instead just meet with like an emotional uh, reality that's in the heart. Others will hear something. I'm more auditory. So I usually go inward and then I, I hear and I receive something. And I always recommend to just start with a question, you know, like as an icebreaker between you and your soul or between entering your heart, like start with an icebreaker that's as simple as what do I need to know in this moment? And then just listen. And, you know, so at, at, at its core, the soul voice meditation is just that effort of trying to become into intimate with the truth inside you. It's just that effort. And some of the things that I suggest, um, to begin the process is, um, the, a mirror exercise, which sounds super, super hokey and like from the 1970s, but it's actually really profound. It sounds um, terrifying. And I don't, <laughs> it is, but it, oh my God, it worked so, so profoundly. I mean, when I was going through divorce and, um, was a single mom of, or indie mom, I like to say indie mom instead, um, of a little baby boy, um, and I would get overwhelmed sometimes with just, you know, the negative thoughts of like, you know, what's going to happen, you know, just overwhelm. I used this practice because I didn't feel like at that time I had the time to do a soul voice meditation or, or like a full on meditation. So I would use this as a way to stay connected. And all it is, is you look in the mirror and instead of looking 
at your eyes, you know, like critiquing the lines or, you know, the puffiness or whatever it is. Um, you stand there and you wait until you can see the presence that emerges from behind your eyes. And in that moment, when that happens, when you see that, when you see the presence behind the eyes and you're, you're actually not only looking, but you're being looked at, mm-hmm. it, it changes everything. It, cha- it takes, you know, a minute, but then it'll change, redirect the rest of your day by having that solemn acknowledgement of like, oh yeah, I am the keeper of something so mysterious and profound that exists within me. You know, I am a keeper. Uh, I, I have to covet and protect and look out for. Um, and so sometimes I would do that. Or the other thing that I would do is called, um, it was like giving my soul a fist pump. Cause that's like all I felt like I had time for. I didn't have time for a full meditation. Um, what I would do is I would pick something that I already have habituated in my day, you know, so whether it's like brushing your teeth or going to the bathroom or taking a shower, you know, some of us are so busy and so, uh, our routines are so like made like in cement right now. We feel like we can't, you know, the effort of like carving out five to 15 minutes feels like, so what I suggest is just do pick something that you already do. If you, if you, drive in the car, ride on the subway or whatever it is, you know, just pick something that you already do every day and set the intention of connecting with your soul during that time. And what I did during that time when things were at the worst or the most intense is I picked the shower because at some point every day I at least got a shower, you know, even if it was only for five minutes. And what I would do in that space and time is I would connect I would go inward into the, you know, space we call heart, but it's really a mystical space inside us. And I would go inward and I would basically just imagine myself giving my soul a fist pump. And I would say, you lead me today. Oh, I like you that. know, you, you, uh, show me what to do, uh, you know, use my words. Um, and, and it would just be this again, like the mirror work, it would be this moment where I could reorient myself and I could say, let love lead today, you know, just allow that prayer and intention to happen. And then later when my life, you know, was less intense, I began cultivating the soul voice practice even more. Um, you know, those were my little moments and those little, little snippets of time that I had to go inward. And then I developed it more and more so that, um, you know, there isn't a day that I don't do some form of soul voice meditation and really what it is at the core is having a conversation with the truth inside me is, is checking in basically and getting real with myself. I love it. I love those little things. Like those aren't little things. I, I think everybody that listens is so big on tools. Like we need little tools. Exactly. We need exactly. these tools. And those are two that I hadn't heard before. Have you, Holly? No, I haven't. And I love it too, because there's this idea that we, especially someone like me, that we have to do really extreme things to feel a big change. And I love that we can actually take five minutes in the shower. This stuff does add up. It truly adds up, but people really think they need to go and sit on a mat 
you know, for an hour a day to really feel some sort of significant shift within themselves, but it's, it's not true. One thing I want to ask, um, cause when you say mystical, I keep on thinking of like mystical, the rapper and like the song danger. <laughs> um, <laughs> can you like, can you describe when you say that that's a mystical place with it? Like mystical to me, it, it sounds like it's, it's, it's too much of a word for me to put my, okay. to put my mind around. Right. Okay. So let's give it an anchor. Yeah. Mystical, uh, a mystic is someone who can connect to the divine directly. So someone who experiences God or Allah or, you know, the Buddha, a mystic is someone who is one with the divine and, and is able to have those moments where they experience the divine in within them, you know, in this human short little life. So, by mystical space, what I mean by that is that I'm not referring, like when we say heart, uh, it has such a, you know, hallmark kind of, you know, watered down, you know, heart like has become such a, you know, some people, or, you know, it, it's kind of been diluted a little bit. Um, when, when the heart is, is really in, in, in the span of, of, mystical literature and human history, the heart really has been understood to be a mediator between us and the divine. It it really is this space within us where we can connect to what is so much more than us. Yeah. So, you know, like you close your eyes and you go inward, you know, but where are you going? You know, and how, like when mystics talk about hearing a voice, where is that voice coming from? You know, because it's, it's inside, you know, and when I was in seminary, I remember being floored at realizing that when these angels are speaking in, in the New Testament, for example, they're speaking from within people. Like, I always thought that it was like this loud speak, you know, like <laughs> Me too. Yeah, disembodied like from voice. above. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> the and clouds part. I, exactly. Trumpets and everything and wings. And when I began to realize that, no, this was happening inside them. They're hearing this voice within them. That just. So it's like medium. It's like being a medium. It's like uh, receiving like uh, almost like for me, it's, I I can much more wrap my mind around downloading things because I have, I mean, like I have downloaded things, like things that are not coming of my mind. They're just like literally just coming out of me. And I think um, I've done that a lot with writing or I've done that a lot just in, in moments where I'm speaking. I don't remember anything that I say. But I know exactly. what I said it's is channel. like, yeah, it's right, exactly. And so I can, that I can understand, um, that I can so, wrap my head around. So for me, it's like the heart is the transmitter. The heart is that, you know, that space within us that then translates and allows for the frequencies between right here, right now, and what is beyond, um, or, or what is you know, so much more than just right here to come through us. It's like this, I like to refer to it as a mediator, you know, between the worlds. Um, And I call it mystical because it is for me, in my experience, it's the place that I can enter within me and feel as though I am encountering my own soul, you know, which is a part of the divine. Yes, I get that completely. Laura, um, so your son has his um, four state. And so we have about three minutes left. Um, We have one last question. He's got it. He's got to work on his. I want to ask, I ask, I want to ask one quick question um, about 
Yeah, uh, let's just go to the last one. I you agree. I'll... You ask it. Um, so we we this is our favorite question to ask, and we ask everybody okay. when they come on. But what what do you think your job is? What do you think? <laughs> what do you think your job is? What are you doing here? To love, to love, and to love, and to love, and to love in wider, more expansive circles. That's it. That's all. <laughs> and if and if I will have done that, then then I will have then I will have lived. Uh, if, if I can do that. Mm, I love it. So good. I want, I wish we could, I want to ask you maybe another time about, you know, cause you, there was one part in reveal that really spoke to me about, cause it's kind of where I am right now with my work. And you said, um, you were talking about actually it started with a story about Liam Neeson <laughs> and then which led to the force or Wu Bei, exactly. which <laughs> talked about the Tao of Pooh and the um, Tao Te Ching. And you were talking about when you were guiding your career, uh, you, you know, when you're guiding the work that you're doing and you started to listen to what your soul was saying that you should do. Um, if it said, no, you listened, even though your rational mind didn't understand why, and it's such a different way of living in the world. And, and in particular, I'm interested, like I keep bringing it down to the practical because people say, yeah, all this stuff is great, but you know, like I have a job and I have a, I have a family and I have these things that I have to do. I have responsibility and, um, necessity and stuff. And, but the, your piece of writing here made me start to understand what I have been experiencing in my, in my work as sort of merging with my the rest of my life and, and trusting that, um, trusting that path. So I know it's a lot to, it's like a big question. (laughs) It's perfect. No, it's perfect. What, what just like zoomed up to my mouth to say when, when you were, when you were mentioning that story is it, it is the profound act of doing nothing, listening to where you are already called to like, what light lights you up? What makes you feel most alive? But also, I think the point that you're bringing up is so profound because so often, as you know, as we said, we think it has to be these grand gestures, like it has to include, um, you know, such profound a career change, a move. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. That's the ego. The ego wants all that. The ego wants all of that to happen. And I'm not bashing the ego. I need an ego so I go grocery shopping with pants on. You know, so like we need the ego, but (laughs) don't want our life to be led by the ego. We want the ego to be led by the soul and for the soul to be leading all we need to do is to listen how can I be the soul of this place in this moment that's all we ever have to ask inwardly and slowly but surely like that one little drop that one little taste every day just just during the shower or while you go to the bathroom or whatever it is during during your commute you little by little, you water that connection to your soul. You water that capacity for you to connect to and to hear, how do I be the soul of this place in this moment? Just keep asking that question. And little by little, it will transform your entire life. But it starts right here. It starts right now. It starts with all the hard places that your life already has and exactly how your life looks. And then little by little, it's connecting. And so in a way, you do nothing. You, you really do nothing. And that's what that chapter is about. It's not about more action for, yeah. yeah. no, no, it's about surrendering inward and really hearing what it is that you are 
saying to yourself every day, you know, what you really, really, truly need to do and, and what needs to come through you as, as you know, Holly was mentioning a channel and a medium, you don't do anything in those moments. You just allow, you Mm. just allow. It's so, so big to me and so important, I think, for people listening, because we are, we are taught to go and do and, 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 and tackle the problem and take action. And so much of this process, a process of recovery, recovering ourselves, overcoming addictions is understanding that something is happening when we are not doing anything always, you know, like there's so much, so much happening to us when we are not doing anything. And, and this is the honoring of the divine feminine. Like that other aspect you say is that's the divine masculine. That's what we're, and we do need that, right? We we need both. We need both. But this is, this is you acknowledging and really, bringing light to and consciousness to the fact that there is there's a deep need for reverence and honor of what happens underneath it all i love that thank you i love it that was such a great way to end thank you (laughs) thank you so much and i hope we we talk to you again and i'll be in touch on email about when this goes up and wonderful uh, all of that wonderful thank you i hope your son has a wonderful fourth state May the force be with you both. (laughs) And with you. Bye. 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 Infinitely so.